0: And then last, but very much not least, is Carol Mack, who is the Chief Executive of the Association of Charitable Foundations, uh, the membership body for charitable foundations here in the UK. Um, And this is the one, uh, as I said up front, where there's a little bit of crackle on Carol's end of the line, which is entirely mere culpa on that one. I think it's to do with the gain settings that I asked her to put in on it. Um, I think it's absolutely fine, though, so hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation. Here's Carol. Great. So I'm here with Carol Mack from ACF. Hi, Carol. Um, and yeah, I guess I, what I wanted to ask really just as a starter was just to get a, a sense from you of how the COVID-19 pandemic has been, you know, affecting you and your organisation and your members so far.
1: Okay, so ACF, we're the Association of Charitable Foundations and our mission is to support foundations to be ambitious and effective in the way they use their resources for social good. We're a membership body and membership bodies thrive on bringing their members together. Um, That poses an obvious challenge when you can't do face to face meetings. Um, But uh, since we've all been working from home, we found lots of ways to bring members together online. We've convened at least three conversations in the last week alone. Uh, So we're confident that we're going to be able to continue to support members um, through this challenge. In terms of um, what's happening with our members, I would say that the immediate response on the part of foundations was, like most organisations, to think about what it means to to work remotely. So that uh, impacts on foundations in terms of visits to grantees, how they present, how they process applications, what sort of contact they have, um, both with organisations they're looking to fund and organisations they're already funding. I think the next area was for foundations to think about the impact on their own missions. So foundations all have their own charitable purposes, those will all be impacted in different ways um, by COVID-19 and so foundations have been thinking through what the impact of the current situation will be for their own purposes and for the organisations they support. Um, and then also I've seen many foundations look at how they can change, repurpose, step up what they do to respond to the emergency. Uh, So those were the first two responses. Um, Over the past few days I've also heard foundations increasingly urgently talking about how they can coordinate and align their funding more effectively Um, So that it can have greater impact. And then very recently, I've heard people just start to think about uh, what things will look like when we come out the other side of the COVID-19 crisis
0: yeah that's that's really interesting um I've been speaking to a few sort of foundations and and grant makers in the course of doing these these interviews, and I've certainly had the sense from them that a lot of them are thinking through how they can sort of shift as many of their resources as possible towards addressing these these short term issues um in this kind of time of crisis but at the same time not. Uh, kind of um, undermine some of those longer term funding relationships they they have. Um, I mean, what are you seeing so far in terms of the ways that your members are thinking about doing that? Are they kind of repurposing existing grant making or are they looking to kind of dig into some of their endowed assets to free up more money?
1: Yes, and I think um, both of those things I've seen, I mean, you'll know the truism once you've seen one foundation, you've seen one foundation. So they're all going to have different responses. Um, But I would say a common response is to recognise the urgency of the situation. Um, Over 250 funders have signed up to the London funders COVID-19 commitment. Um, and so they're publicly making a commitment that they will be responsive to grantees who need to adapt their activities, who need more flexibility on dates, who need financial flexibility, and quite frankly might need someone who can just listen to what um, what they have to say. So I, I'm seeing um, that in, in terms of a response. I have also obviously foundations endowments have suffered in the uh, most recent weeks, although I've lost the plot now on whether we're up or down today. Um, but overall there there are questions about the economy. It's worth remembering that that follows a decade of um, strong growth, particularly in equities. Um, So you have to uh, look at things in context. And despite the fact that um, foundations have suffered um, significant losses over the past month or so, I have heard of several foundations who have, despite that, decided that they're going to make significant increases to their spend because the need is now.
0: Absolutely, yeah, um and in terms of what you're hearing from your members about um sort of their sense of of what's happening to their grantees what what what's coming through as the kind of biggest challenges facing organizations on the ground o- over the coming months?
1: I think they fall into two categories. there's the quite simply the income challenge. so any organisation that's dependent on trading income or in or fundraising income from from the public that involves face-to-face fundraising, I mean, those funding sources have dried up overnight. Uh, NCVO and other infrastructure bodies with whom ACF has been in close contact have estimated that over the next 12 weeks, the sector will lose £4.3 billion pounds in income. Um, now, that's not a gap that philanthropy can fill. The largest 300 foundations um, gave under £3 billion last year, and that includes Welcome Foundation, who uh, is clearly spending its money in relation to COVID-19. It stepped up its funding in the search for a vaccine. Um, So it's not as if that three billion isn't already fully committed. Um, So, yeah, I I think that's what I'm seeing overall.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of you mentioned there that you were sort of starting to see some funders think about the the kind of medium to longer term challenges. I mean, what what do you do you get any sense of what they're thinking some of those challenges might be and what they're potentially thinking about doing now or in the shorter term to to make sure that that they kind of mitigate against them?
1: Yeah. Can I come back to that in a minute? Because I just realised I didn't get a full answer to your previous question, which is around what people were hearing from organisations. So the finance is clearly a challenge. Um, What people are are also hearing is that um, the organisations they work with can't function in the same way um and that depending on the beneficiary group they're working with that that can pose real problems for example i was in a call this morning um with uh funders in the youth sector hearing about vulnerable young people who have just lost access to perhaps the one trusted adult that they had who was outside the home either at school or or in a in a a youth um youth club type program and they can't access them now. So um, organizations finding it um, very difficult to continue to serve their beneficiary group. um, And sometimes that is because they don't have the tech, and sometimes it's just because of the restrictions. So I guess that's the other thing um, that members are saying. And then members are also saying that they're uh, in touch with some organizations who would actually be incredibly helpful Um, in responding to the current crisis, but for whatever reason, they don't have the wherewithal to do it. Sometimes that's about technology, sometimes that's about funding. So those are the categories I would say that I'm hearing from members. And then you asked me, didn't you, about um, the longer term. Can you just remind me what the question was again?
0: Just, just saying, you were, you were mentioning that um, organisations were starting to, you know, funders were thinking through some of those medium and, and longer term challenges and just whether they had any sense of what they they had identified as some of those challenges and what potentially they were thinking about in terms of shorter term actions they might start to take now to kind of mitigate against any of them.
1: Yeah, uh, I can give a, a couple of examples. So. Um, At at a very high level, policy level, there are people starting to think about, okay, we need some visioning about what society might look like um, as it picks up again once the immediate crisis is passed uh, and thinking about um, the need to engage with think tanks um, and and policy organisations to do some thinking around that. At the other extreme, on a very practical level, I've heard about, I heard from a foundation that funds work with young people, particularly around mental health, um, and feeling that um, when we are all able to go out again, that there will be some some significant mental health issues that will be, uh, have been stacked up um, and will need to be addressed. I also heard from a foundation working in the education sector saying or predicting that the um, all of the progress in closing the attainment gap that's been achieved over the last 10 years is likely to be undermined by the fact that um, children have really just been thrust back on the resources of their parents. Um, for for various reasons, parents are in a different, um, are differently able to respond to that. So all sorts of impacts, I suppose there. They will be seen through the prism of the foundation's individual mission. Uh, and then there are also foundations thinking about um, broader society and some of the lessons for that.
0: That's I mean, it's really interesting to to hear because, I mean, absolutely. I hadn't thought of, of some of those issues, but but clearly those are the sorts of things that, that funders and, and their grantees are going to be dealing with as we kind of come out of this, this crisis period. So, it's, I mean, it's interesting to hear that thinking is already starting. Um in the shorter term, I mean what you mentioned already about the the uh, sort of funding shortfall facing organizations and some of the calls that have been made um on on government to support the sector in the same way as it supported other areas of the economy what i mean is that the the main thing that you think that government needs to be doing, or there are, are there other things that central or local government could be doing as well as funders and charities themselves
1: um I think um government should think really hard about whether it can offer the same sort of flexibility in its existing funding of the sector um, as those 250 funders that have signed the COVID-19 commitment can offer. So that would be incredibly helpful. Um, I think another area would be um, ensuring that some of the packages of support that have been designed for business are applicable in the charity sector where possible. So a good example of that would be the the, uh, Chancellor's really welcome announcement um, that the government will cover 80% of staff salaries if staff are furloughed. So that will help some charities um, a lot, particularly the sort of charities that that, that are mothballing their activity um, until the the crisis has passed. So, for example, the National Trust shutting down its properties, Uh, Even there was an announcement today about Oxfam laying off 70% of its staff and furloughing them. That's fantastic for that sort of charity, but it doesn't work in a hospice. Um, You can't lay off all your staff um, securing the knowledge that 80% of their salary will be paid. You need to continue to deliver a hospice service. And frankly, the health service needs the hospice service to continue too. So I understand from... um, From conversations that um, possibly that 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 might have been um, that wasn't intent in the design, um, and that that might be something that um, that the Treasury might look at again. Um, But just thinking through the support that's offered for business um, and its applicability to, to charities, looking at it through a charity lens would be incredibly helpful.
0: Absolutely. Um, and we've we've talked a lot, I guess so far, naturally, about the the challenges that the the sector has faced and you know I think we'll continue to face realistically over, over the coming months. But what what have you seen so far that's given you some cause for hope and optimism about civil society's ability to rise to this challenge and hopefully come out stronger the other side?
1: Well, talking from the foundation perspective, because that's what I know, uh I think it's fantastic that 250 foundations have signed up to this COVID-19 commitment. That's absolutely brilliant. I think some of the significant amounts of money um, that foundations have found in a very short space of time to support emergency responses have been brilliant. I speak there as a trustee of the National Emergencies Trust, and we've had some very significant donations from foundations that wanted to get money to the front line very quickly. and, and just this sense of collaboration, wanting to align. There are lots of conversations that are, I'm sure will result in informal collaboration. That's not always visible, but it doesn't make it any less valuable
0: yeah absolutely yeah i mean it certainly echoes things i've been hearing from from others and certainly that point about collaboration is is something virtually everybody i've spoken to has has said um it's no i won't take up any more of your time i know everybody's extremely busy at the moment but it just remains to say thanks ever so much carol for coming on the podcast um and i certainly hope i can convince you to come back on here at some point in the future where we might be able to talk about something that is not related to covid19
1: thank you Audrey. I'd i'd love to do that so please do ask me again <laughs>